Smith, and this is more than one lesson, episode 112. I uh, wanted to thank Jacob Kinberg for being on the show last week. Uh, if you did not get a chance to listen to that episode, please go and do so and uh, look into his film Sing Over Me, which will be, uh, be available on YouTube for free until the end of September. So by the time this goes up, you only have a few days left, so check that out. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any announcements. Not really. I wanted to say Welcome to any new listeners uh, who might have found out about us at Alpha Omega Con. It was really a great experience. I might record a, a, a sort of a mini-sode um, that'll go up like midweek uh, about my experience at Alpha Omega Con. It was a really great positive experience. And I wanted to say a special thank you to Reed Lackey and Joel Buck for uh, sitting in with me uh, at the booth and uh, taking questions because there were some times when there were three different people at the booth and all three of us had uh, were engaged uh, with each person so um so yeah i appreciate that uh josh unfortunately was not able to be there he was working he was uh getting stuff done but he's here now my co-host josh long josh hey how you doing doing all right all right a little sleepy yeah i'm a little sleepy okay that's okay i've been i've been having long work days but you know what doesn't matter so we got we have stuff to talk about. That is true. Yes, we do. Um, and sorry to anyone that I wasn't able to meet at Alpha Omega Con. If you're here listening now because you found out about the podcast there, then welcome. I'm glad to glad to get to know you. Yeah, they're they're wondering who on earth they said now which like, guy who is at this the guy? table was this? Oh, nobody. I'm none of the people that you met, and yeah. I'm sorry about that. Josh was too busy for you. <sighs> I had famous people I had to deal with. It is unfortunate that we cannot unpack that. I know. <laughs> because I know some of the, I know of some of the famous people that you were dealing with. By, and, uh, by spring, we can talk about it. Absolutely. Um, okay. So, uh, I think we may just go ahead and get into it because we, do, we are uh, got a little bit of a time crunch right now. So, uh, we'll just jump right in. I believe I mentioned this last week. Uh, today's episode, we are talking about the film Believe Me, directed by, okay, here's the thing. First name, Will. Last name, B-A-K-K-E. Is that Bake or Back? I say Backy. Backy? I, th- I would think so. Will Backy. I don't like that at all. This guy's got to change his name. Uh, but anyway. Send him an email. I am in, t- I am in contact with his publicist. I could yeah. say, hey. I got it. <laughs> Here you go. Let's think outside the box a little okay. bit. That last name, it's the Pitts. It's absolutely. So let's you change go by it. Will Pitts. There you go. That would, be, that would be terrible. There's a Michael Pitt. Wasn't there a William Pitt who was like a like a, a prime minister of England in like the 1700s or something? You're thinking of um, Margaret Thatcher. Oh, that's... Yes. So, uh, 
I apologize, any new listeners, if you are still around. Okay, so Believe Me by, we're going to agree with on Backy. I apologize if anybody from Believe Me happens to be listening to this, and that is not how you pronounce his last name. I apologize profusely. Let us know. That Tweet is, at us. Perhaps, we'll, perhaps we will just say Will, because that, part, uh, will that be. part I know. Willie B, I like to call him. I just, I don't like to call him that. You shouldn't. Okay, I won't. But I'll, perhaps I'll just say Will because that's the easier one. So, directed by Will Backy, uh, written by Michael B. Allen, as well as our good friend Will, um, <clears throat> starring Alex Russell from Chronicle, uh, Zachary Knighton, who I, I, I didn't take the time to look up everybody's filmography, but uh, Gabriel, the uh, worship director, you've he, seen him on something. Yeah, well, he, was on the, he was on the TV show Happy Endings, which okay. was a show that I liked a lot. That was okay. a very funny show that is unfortunately, I think, now canceled. Uh, yes. canceled a couple seasons ago. I believe it is canceled, yes, but, because Damon Wayans Jr. Then he went over to New, New Girl. Girl. Yeah. So, uh, Miles Fisher, who I believe was on uh, Boardwalk Empire. Some of these are people that I've seen here and there. Uh, a lot of younger actors, uh, you know, will make the rounds on like TV shows and stuff like that. So we also have Max Adler as Baker. Okay, here's another name that we're a little iffy on. Cinqua Walls as a character named Tyler. I know how to pronounce that one. Hey, there That's you go. Uh, and then uh, I would say... I would say most notably, but uh, it's not so much that as it is um, Nick Offerman from Parks and Rec. He is also in it, as is Christopher McDonald, who's from everything. <laughs> um, they don't play. They don't play huge roles. Uh, Christopher McDonald certainly has he a plays supporting a role. role. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they're they're more just you know. Yeah, uh, Nick Offerman's more a guy that they got for one day, and yeah. you can tell that was a big get for them. Yes, but, uh, and made the most of it. But we'll we'll get. Yeah, he does a great scene. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I'll say this, if you, if you have been following the film at all, you know that, uh, they do tend to make a big deal about <laughs> the appearance of, uh, Christian rapper Lecrae. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is in the film. He is. It is not a very large role, but, uh, it is, I'll say this, it's delightful when you see him. It so. is, it is in a very fun moment of the film, but if you're watching for Lecrae, you're probably going to be disappointed. Yes. So, okay. I guess we'll just uh, jump into this. Um, I do not remember as far as we'll, we'll, we'll lead with uh, expectation and such. I don't remember exactly how I found out about this film. Uh, I think hmm. probably on Facebook it was suggested to me. Yeah, I've, I know I found out about it through you. So. Right. And, and I looked it up and I watched the trailer and I saw, oh, Nick, uh, the trailer wisely when the you know on youtube and stuff uh the the default image is uh nick offerman looking disheveled and weary and uh so i clicked on that and i said well i i saw that it was essentially a christian film and there's nick offerman and i thought well already i'm interested i watched the trailer and thought well wait a second this looks not terrible and uh i i finagled the uh publicity people of the company to send me a screener which you and i watched together and i was very very pleased with the film um the story very quickly is a young college student uh who's very popular very charismatic he hangs out with his friends and they party a lot 
Uh, turns out that uh, he there was a miscalculation, and he uh, went to school for an extra semester. Not an extra semester, but his last semester was not covered by his scholarship. Mm. So he has to pay for that, and he does not have the money to do so. <clears throat> so he and his friends stumble on this idea of uh, starting up a fake uh, charity. charity a fake Christian charity primarily mm-hmm. yeah. uh, so that they can get some money because these charities are not really uh, accountable We're, to anybody. Yeah, responsible to anybody. So uh, so they do that and they catch uh, the eye of Christopher McDonald's character, Ken, who runs a, for, for lack of a better term, like a revival type of... It's like a revival ministry. Yeah. Uh, this, you know, this uh, concert and sermon thing that goes from uh, city to city. And gets uh, gets the kids pumped up, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And he says, "You guys are just the cool Christians." I mean, he even <laughs> says that you cool, you cool Christians. Uh, these these guys are just the cool Christians to get the kids on board. And so they uh, they agree to go on tour, and they are going to collect a whole bunch of money for their quote unquote charity, which is of course just for them. So as they go, they engage with Christian culture, and none of them are Christian, so they don't know what this is mm. and as they engage with it they are better able to they're better able to manipulate it uh but then of course there are uh some pangs of conscience uh that they're basically taking money from people who are wanting to do a good thing yeah and they're able to justify it to themselves a few different ways but that only lasts so long as well mm. so i won't go into uh details uh because this is a film that uh, I think is genuinely good, and I don't want to spoil it for you because it's not like it's uh, it's not like this is a cultural osmosis type of thing. Uh, you will only see it if you seek it out. Uh, and right now, I do believe it is on. Uh, let's see, this will be going up on Thursday, so I think tomorrow is when it will be available in select theaters. But you can also find it on iTunes. You can uh, pre-order copies. I'll I'll put links to everything uh, on the website. Um, so it is going to be on select theaters. Select theaters. Yes, I think I didn't know that, but that's good. I mean, that's uh, there. Well, I, I was going to get ahead of myself, but let, let's keep going. Okay. So all right. So that's the basic story. Uh, we'll lead with what we liked, which will be most of it. Uh, I really enjoyed this film. It, I'll say it's it's not perfect. I might be I might be more forgiving of the film because it seemed to be actually trying, which other yeah. Christian films aren't. So I might be forgiving it and saying it's great. It probably isn't great, mm-hmm. but compared to other films in that genre, it's the best. Okay, I'll say this: it's the best Christian film I've ever seen. All right. What about Ben Hur? Whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean. I don't know. And so, uh, yeah, and it's just, um, so it's not, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a great film, but it's very good. And what's more, and maybe infinitely more important, I've seen a few Christian comedies, and uh, the comedy in it always falls horrendously flat. Yeah. Uh, And then when we've seen comic relief in Christian films, that is really awful. The comic relief in the, in the, Fireproof is the one that I remember specifically. It's just, it's so bad. And I, I don't know, maybe it's one of those kind of things that like, when you know the actor who's that part, you're like, you're laughing at him and you're like, oh, you know, Joe's a, Joe's a funny guy. Look at what he's doing on the camera. Yeah. But it's, 
it's as if you've just put your your boring home videos of your friend who you think is funny no. in a movie that millions of people see and expect to. But surely, uh, you know, they'll be they would be able to really mold his comedic performance through uh, really expert editing. Nope. No. They tend to just leave the camera and apparently walk away and just assume that what he's going to do is funny. Uh, and I, I don't want to use this. I don't want to use this episode to bash Christian film. It may happen uh, uh, organically, but I don't want to overdo it because yeah. I'd rather just talk about what I like about this film. Yeah, it's it is more com- to say that the comedy just really works in this film. It it it's. I think you were starting to say it is a comedy first and foremost. It is a comedy first and foremost, and it makes me laugh. It made me laugh several times. Yeah, me too. And it wasn't. You know, I, I I do feel the need to qualify a lot of things when I talk about this film. Uh, you know, when you're so. <laughs> You know, when you're de- when you're in the desert and you're desperate for wa- for water, you'll drink even the dirtiest of water and you'll call it refreshing. Uh, and so, but then other people would say, "Yeah, but it's not actually." And you mm. say, "No, it really is." So I'm I've really been trying to think. Okay, do I did I la- did I actually laugh, or did the laughter come from an acknowledgement of well, they're actually trying and they at least understand what humor is. Mm. Uh, and so. After examining myself for like a few weeks now about that, I think I can safely say that the laughs are real um, and not everything completely worked for me, but a lot of it did. Uh, some of it is are the kind of laughs that I think everybody can appreciate. Some of the, I'll say this, maybe this is a flaw, maybe, maybe it isn't, I don't know. Some of the jokes are things that I think maybe only Christians would laugh at. Um, as our uh, characters are learning about Christian culture and learning to adapt the things that they say to Christian culture, specifically, you know, cool Christian culture, one could say relevant Christian culture. Mm. Um, that is particularly funny if you are a Christian in Los Angeles. Yeah. And they, they might be a little of inside jokes for people who do not, who aren't familiar with that kind of subset of Christianity, like the, the hipster Christian yeah. uh, persona. But for anybody who is familiar with it, they they do take it to task pretty well, and it and it is it is funny. Yeah, um, I mean, and there's little, and I'll, I'll recount some of the jokes here because uh, I've done that before with uh, other comedies. Um, little things like uh, there's a character named Gabriel. This this guy that you mentioned was from Happy Endings, and he's the worship leader, and he merely goes by Gabriel. He is very much used to being the center of attention. He likes it. Uh, he really plays up the, you know, the, uh, introspective artist, Mm -hmm. uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, and one of the funniest things to me is when the time comes for him to lead a worship song. Now, if you've been to church, you reckon, you know, that they'll, they'll project the lyrics up onto the screen. And this one, the song simply says, okay, so it just says Jesus, four times and then underneath that it says times it says x like for times times 16 (laughs) and so they're just going to sing the word jesus what's 16 times four i'm not i'm not great with math 40 64 64 okay so that's that sounds right right. sure uh and so (laughs) like that's that is funny to me um and so uh because 
And then, of course, underneath it also says copyright Gabriel. Yeah, copyright Gabriel. I love that. <laughs> Which is very funny. Um, <laughs> and then there's little things like as the guys are... Pr- <laughs> As the guys are putting together their presentation for their charity, uh, they're talking about like, oh, kids in Africa, Mm. you know how bad it is there. And they basically (laughs) just did. They've taken the same photo of some poor African child that is, I guess, crying. Yeah. And they've just used that same picture and put this child in in several different contexts. And every time, every new time you see him pop up in a new, in some new thing, isn't there one where he's about to get eaten by a lion or yes, something? That is what it is. Like <laughs> if we don't give to, to these kids in Africa, you know, what could happen? And I believe a slide pops up and there's a lion about to eat this crying kid who's clearly been Photoshopped into the, into the photo. And so, um, so yeah. And what's more is at first the joke is right there. It's, it's for us. And then it just becomes then just fades into the background and it's there if you're looking for it, mm-hmm. which I love. I'm a big yeah. fan of the Simpsons. I like airplane. I like that kind of humor where it's there if you're looking for it. Mm-hmm. And after a while you start looking for it and it's delightful. Yeah. I think some of the best jokes in it are the ones that go like, just go with the silliness and yeah. I would have liked to see it happen more in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it when it does happen. And I think, I don't know. I feel like these these could be filmmakers who, if they were to go with that more, just go with that silly instinct in their yeah. future comedies. That could be even funnier. Absolutely. And so, uh, and I will mention um, Nick Offerman. He's in one scene. He's mm-hmm. the college guidance counselor. He is probably drunk, uh, <laughs> and he's funny basically throughout. It's just he's, he looks like the dirtiest I've ever seen. Nick Offerman, yeah. like physically dirty. Yeah. Like an argument could be made that, oh, this guy is a corrupt cop or something like that. He look he has that quality. Like he should work in Gotham City. Um, it's like he hasn't done laundry for weeks, maybe. Absolutely. Because what's the point? He's just dealing with these dumb kids. Yeah. And uh, so that's a very funny scene. Uh, it's written pretty well, but he also just commits to it. Like as he's mm. just uh, beating up his printer because it's and just yelling at it in front of a student. Like that's funny. Uh, so yeah. And, and a lot of the a lot of the character stuff is is funny there's i will say this uh you know a lot of these are characters you've seen before i'll spe- i'll specifically speak about uh the character pierce who's sort of the zany best friend um played by miles fisher uh he's he's your standard zany best friend uh in many ways he's you know he's uh he's selfish and he's big is he the sneaky one uh, well, they're all kind of sneaky. Josh. Well, there's one that's like the sneaky one, and the one that's like the partier one. He's the sneaky one. Okay. Yes. Um, and so, but he's also kind of big and broad and over the top sometimes, and and all that. Uh, that bothered me a little bit, especially when they tried to use that just the just the broadness of the performance to get mm-hmm. a laugh. But sometimes it got a laugh. For yeah. Me. Sometimes he pays off well. Other scenes, it's not as much. Yeah. I remember that there's a scene in the beginning where they're trying to like figure out the plan a little bit. Right. And that, that scene didn't work real great for me. Yeah. But what I, what I like is that underneath it all, um, first off, there's nothing wrong with film just being a comedy. Yeah. But also this is, you know, it is a Christian film. Um, although according to, uh, certain interviews, uh, the director's not considered a Christian film, even though he is Christian and has Christian themes, he doesn't consider it a Christian film. And already that might be why it's good. Uh, because yeah, he doesn't no, look at it that way. I totally agree with that sentiment. I've said the same thing to people before, like yeah. a movie, a movie can't convert to Christianity. Right. So. It's, uh, yeah. And just, <laughs> 
it's he made a movie he told a story he wanted to tell and he infused himself a christian into it and thus it's going to be this Hmm. and there is a it's i believe it's pg-13 there's a little bit of language here and there um so you know be on the lookout for that but for the most part I, i find it mostly inoffensive uh it doesn't seem like sacrilegious or anything like that. It seems like sometimes it's a good natured ribbing of the world, the culture of Christianity mm-hmm. and other times it's a genuine indictment of it. Yeah. And that's what I like. And so, uh, yeah, with, without doing that, cause there's a lot of films that seem to kind of do that thing where they, where they want to indict the, you know, the Christian culture or subculture, but seem to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, this isn't, this is kind of what this all is and and maybe to question whether it's even worth it you know and what's more is there there will be some that will basically take the inherent flawed nature of people and of course christianity is full of people who Mm -hmm. make mistakes sometimes terrible mistakes uh and when anytime a movie not anytime but most of the times when movies explore that at all i'm sorry um they tend to act as though it's one or the other. There's a remarkably black and white view of Christianity Mm -hmm. in most film. Yeah. uh, In that like, Oh, they did, you know, Oh, this, uh, this pastor like, um, cheated on his wife. Well, that's who he really is. Yeah. And of course it's a terrible thing and, and there are consequences, but that's not the whole of any one person. And obvi- and just because a person holds themselves up to a certain standard, that doesn't mean they're always going to live up to it just right. as nobody lives up to their own standard. If yeah. you have, I'd venture to say if you're living up to your standard of morality, your standard isn't high enough. I don't know. I'm not hmm. sure if that's, I might be overstating. Yeah, maybe, but it's yeah. The the films have this tendency to, as if they're coming in ahead of time, saying we either have to be a hundred percent for or a hundred percent against Christianity. As almost almost as if their goal is to convince you that it's good or convince you that it's bad. Exactly. Um, and I, it, you know, it's the same sort of thing that rubs me wrong about political movies. They come in with an agenda. They're mm-hmm. like, we're we're here to make you make you know how good this is. And you know that's and it goes the other way. Okay, so most political movies, I would say, uh, just knowing Hollywood as I do, uh, they will have a, a usually a liberal agenda. But at the same time, I also know of a number of. Uh, conservatives who want to get into the film industry and they want to make movies with conservative values. And it's like, okay, fine. But it's exactly the same as with most Christian films. Like mm-hmm. there is, and I won't, I won't name any names, but there is this political commentator that I'm a big fan of and he wants to get into film. And so he actually got a film made. Um, and I saw the trailer and everything about it just seems like pandering and fan service. This idea of like, well, Hollywood doesn't get, doesn't make any movies for us. So we're going to make some movies for ourselves. But in doing so, there's nothing challenging at all. It's mm-hmm. all just, hey guys, you're right. We're all we're right. They're the bad guys. They do the exact same thing, but going the other direction. Yeah. There's new. There's no nuance. There's nothing character driven or even plot driven. It's all message driven. And when yeah. you lead with that, then anything that might run counter to that uh, gets thrown to the side. Yeah. And that's what I like about Believe Me is that it does seem to genuinely be invested in its characters, invested in its story. Certainly. In its in its theme and its message as well, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. Sa- I don't think it sacrifices character in order to do that. To no. the extent that 
the main character, Sam, played by Alex uh, Russell, um, you know, he definitely has a character arc. He's not the same at the end as he is at the beginning. Um, but as but you and I often say, there's no big no conversion, conversion scene. <laughs> uh, in fact, the film even uh, cuts off before we really see things get going for him. Right. As far as like standing up and being a man of integrity. Yeah. Um, and you get the idea that something is changing in him and that, you yeah. know, he, he has made a change. And you see some some change both in what he says and the actions that he that he uh makes but uh where was i going with that i guess that just that there is a change in him and it's an obvious believable change right change but it's not a complete 180 and it is a change because of his engagement with this belief right it doesn't come out of nowhere uh it comes from communication with other people sometimes uh, somebody's very directly saying something to him. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just observing uh, the people that he is preaching to um, and their sincerity uh, and that sort of thing. But he often does, you know, he's often taken to task. Uh, and that's where, um, <clears throat> so uh, there's a character I believe named Callie mm-hmm. played by, uh, here we go. All right. Is this another one we can't pronounce? Okay, so it's it could be Joanna or Johanna. I've known a Johanna in my life. Last name B R A D D Y. Brady, Brady, I typo said, maybe. <laughs> maybe I don't know. I typed it out. Let me look. If it's two D's, I would say Brady. Yeah, oh, that's two D's. Brady. Right. I would say Johanna also, just because there's a Bob Dylan song that's Visions of Johanna, and that's the okay. way he says it there. So okay, I went to college with somebody named Johanna, and so we'll stick with that. Uh, so Callie is. She's the one who who sort of gets them into, uh, gets our heroes, let's say protagonists, gets our protagonists into this ministry. And she's like a, a true believer. In, but she also has moments of genuine doubt, wondering if she's doing making a difference in this world uh, and that sort of thing. She's a real character. From a plot standpoint, you could make the argument that she's only there to challenge uh, our main character. But she's written as more than that. I believe yeah. she really exists. She seems to have her own thoughts and feelings. I believe yeah. that she continues to exist when she's not on the screen. And she represents a type of character who I think the film wants to ensure us that exists, which is the person who believes them, but is a genuine Christian and, and right. has like a genuine faith. So right. she, the, the reason she's going along with it is not because she's a blind follower, but because they're lying exactly yeah yeah um i'm reminded uh there's a a scene not a scene i'm sorry the commentary for the movie shattered glass um where this journalist uh is lying basically is just uh completely making up stories and there were like 50 of them that ran as fact and in the commentary the editor of the magazine he said you know when you look at these stories they seem so outlandish it seems so obvious now that they were phony. And he said, and even at the time people said, how could you let this happen? You realize, and you say, you realize this was our friend. This was someone we saw every day mm. who was lying to us. It's not merely that they were lying to a, the bunch of strangers that were reading it. They were lying to us, their friends. And you don't think that you don't think your friend is lying to you, mm-hmm. uh, nor do you want to think that. Yeah. And so she is, I think she's a very good character. I think she's a character we can all relate to because she's not a sheep. She's not, I mean, I guess she's, 
she's fooled, but she's not necessarily duped. Like when I think of duped, I think of yeah. somebody who just kind of blindly wanders into this thing and, and like is an easy mark. Yeah. She wants to believe something and then yeah. finds it because they want to believe it's true. And I think she does want to believe it, but in the sense that she wants to think the best of people. Right. And that's not the reason she believes is not right. because she wants to. Right. And so, uh, so I think that character is very well written, very well played. Uh, there is a scene. It is, uh, one could make the argument that it's the climactic scene, but it's right around there. And it's, and I think it's she, just, if I know the one you're talking about, I feel like it's the thematic center of the movie. Absolutely. No question about it. In which, uh, Callie and Sam, they're on the street. She has found out who he is and she's upset and she's frustrated. And he's been sort of trying to get with her, even though she's officially with Gabriel, which by the way, I feel like that, that relationship could have been developed more because it never felt like she was actually with Gabriel to me. Mm-hmm. Um, did you feel the same way or did you actually believe that? Um, I, here's the thing. When you, when you have two characters in a movie who seem to have a relationship like that, but you, but there are side characters and we know our main character is interested in one or the other. Yeah. You get that. I call it the Woody Allen thing where you're like, well, these people don't have a real relationship and it's not going to continue going. One of them right. is going to leave to go with this guy. So it felt, I, I think I've, pasted in that kind of feeling to it so i i didn't really care if they didn't i guess they weren't attached to each other it it mattered to me because we see who gabriel is we see that he's it's not that he's a phony it's that he's just a little bit pretentious and maybe has a little bit of pride going on yeah and it doesn't seem like she would be with him i can i can buy that yeah i i remember thinking like if he is this pretentious, she seems to have her head on straight pretty much. Yeah. I feel like they could have, there could have been something to suggest that he, she knows this, but she, she loves him anyway for this or that yeah. reason. Or she doesn't even know why or something like that. Or he's, know? he's different with her than he is yeah. on stage. Yeah, you know, maybe. His public persona is very different than with her. Then at the same time, they may not want to develop that ten, that much because they may want to develop the idea that, she is going to leave him and that she would go and talk to Sam or start or consider dating Sam. If you, if you really strengthened a solid relationship between the two of them, then that character would also be unlikely to do anything to to bring her out of that relationship. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of a, it may be the sort of thing where the characters between a rock, the writers have her between a rock and a hard place. Either they have her, dating someone that doesn't seem like the person sort of person that she would date or they have her leaving a person that she does seem like she fits with i think that the best way to ultimately do it is that she's been with gabriel for a while but he's started to change Mm -hmm. and she's he's not who she started dating Mm. um but anyway so so she and sam at, at the very least they are friendly uh he clearly likes her. She probably likes him a little bit and is a bit attracted to him. Uh, and he's and she, charismatic. So that's the whole absolutely. thing. Like everybody's drawn to him because he's charismatic and that's kind of why she is initially. And so, uh, but when she finds out who he really is, they have this big confrontation out on the street and you can tell she's really conflicted, uh, because she's mad at him, but she does say like, like I'm, you know, I believe she says a line. Some I wish I could remember it specifically, but something like, like I'm, I am forgiving you, but I'm still angry. Um, I don't remember exactly, but, uh, but yeah. So, and that scene is really well written. It's, it seems like a genuine conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you watch any number of other 
Christian films. And when characters argue, I don't, you know, I've argued in my life with, you know, friends, relatives, my wife, strangers, uh, <laughs> and none of the arguments look like the ones in, in most Christian films because they want to hold back. They don't want to really go for, they don't really want to go for the emotional rawness of it. Yeah. And this seems raw to me and it mm-hmm. seems real. And that's one other thing that I wanted to mention is that uh, there's a lot of, as is always the case with a comedy that is also also has dramatic moments, it can be very hard to shift tone. Uh, instead, the best thing you can do is to create a tone that accommodates both. Mm-hmm. Um, a movie like Sideways, I think, does that. Uh, and I think Believe Me does as well. It can make a shift from yeah. the outlandish and goofy to the actual human emotion. Yeah. Um, and I think the I think the way it does that is by having the shift be smaller. You know, as w- right now we have the website for Believe Me pulled up, and I'm looking at the character of Baker, who is uh, sort of the party animal of the group. And you know, he used to be like a big drinker. In fact, as I'm looking at the photo right now, he is <laughs> he is uh, drinking. And so, uh, but by the end, he doesn't become a Christian, and it's possible he never will. Mm. But he's not satisfied with what he used to want. Mm-hmm. You know, the like he goes back to college. He go he returns back to school just for a, a night and gets really drunk. And the next day, he's like, "I just feel like I'm getting a bit old for this." Mm-hmm. You know, and just he's just not satisfied anymore. And so, you know, whereas if you had him fall on his knees and become a Christian, not only would I not believe it for the character, but also that wouldn't fit the tone. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's, I think maybe that's the, you know, to get back to Christian film in general, I think that's the problem with, with Christian film is that it's willing to sacrifice everything that a movie is meant, that a successful movie is supposed to be so that they can have the conversion scene. So they can have the scene of someone preaching the gospel mm-hmm. uh, and that sort of thing. And those are important, of course. Uh, preaching the gospel is important. Conversion is important. But to but does it work for this particular story? Mm-hmm. Now, in this one, you have characters preaching the gospel all the time. But there's this added layer of a good number of the people that are preaching it don't actually believe yeah. <laughs> it. But the people that are preaching it, too, do believe it. And that's complex. And, and one thing that the film... Uh, that the film talks about is this idea, and this is how Sam is able to justify what he's doing, is uh, he tells this story. He comes up with this very neat little analogy where he says, you know, did you know that Einstein was terrible at math when he was in school? And that's not actually true. He was very good at math, but that's a thing that teachers tell their students almost as a way to sort of inspire them, even though the teachers themselves know that isn't true. And so he just says... I'm doing that. I'm telling them something I don't believe to be true, but they do, and it's and they're going to go out and do great things for the world. Good for them. I feel fine. Um, and what I like about the the Callie character, and and you know, there's a lot of pressure on Johanna Brady to because almost all the themes fall on her shoulders to yeah. to declare, and so uh, but she totally sells it i believe it comes from the character and not the writer um in which she it's a wonderful scene because he says that and he says it to one of his one of his friends and his friends like i'm on board you got me that analogy worked great and then she says yeah well how about they just use how about the, these teachers rather than lazily come up with say something that's just a total lie why don't they just say something that's true and is genuinely inspiring yeah and 
she just cuts through this rationalization, mm-hmm. you know, like a, a hot knife through butter. Mm-hmm. And that speaks to, I think, maybe the largest, um, the largest theme of the film, which is, yes, belief in something bigger than yourself is important, but the thing that you believe in is also important. In fact, it's, I'd venture to say it's more important because there are plenty of people that believe in that, you know, their, they believe in nationalism, their country right or wrong and all that. Um, and that tends not to go well. You know, anything that you and, and other religions as well. If you're going to have this thing define who you are and what you do then the thing itself matters a great deal. And so, and that flies in the face of, of movies like dogma, which we'll probably do a whole episode about at some point where, um, you know, the theme is declared that it doesn't matter what you have faith in just as long as you have faith. That tends to be a lot of the, that tends to be a lot of the quasi Christian films that come out that movies that deal with Christianity without actually, having any kind of Christian influence on them. So right. all sort of come to that conclusion. Like, Hey, faith is great. It's, you know, it, it helps people. And that's, that's all there is to it. And, yeah. um, I like that this movie says like, well, shouldn't it be faith in something that's real? Like, yeah, I, she, I forget her exact line, but she has a line where she says something like, no, I don't think just having faith in something yeah. is good if it's not something real then no i don't think you should have i don't think it's good and that and that brings me into uh the title and then the next thing that i wanted to talk about the title is not merely believe or believe this it's believe me uh there's an uh, which and, and i like that the title kind of means something because it's all about the messenger which is it's important that you believe me not that you believe in God or not that you believe in Jesus, but that you believe me. Yes, I happen to be talking about God and Jesus, but that's secondary. The important thing is that you're on board with me, the messenger. Uh, and that's a big part of this film is the, the cult of personality quality where, you know, uh, these characters, like you said, they are charismatic. These kids are getting on board. There's all kinds of conversions. Everybody's really happy, but of course it's built on a lie. Uh, what is it from the Simpsons uh, uh, Halloween episode? Uh, a no, is it a Halloween episode? No, it's their X Files episode where uh, Leonard Nimoy he says he says uh, the story you're about to hear is true, and by true I mean false. They're all lies, but they're entertaining lies. And in the end, isn't that the real truth? The answer is no, <laughs> and just just this nonsensical uh, intro, uh, and it's delightful. And but that's that is the thing is when people say, and you run across it as like some pop cynicism in film from time to time and TV, which is it's an entertaining lie, and that's all we want. Mm-hmm. But what I like is that the film really does take this stand, where Callie even says to Sam, "I would rather people not become a Christian." then people become a Christian as a function of you, or more specifically, they're you, they believe in you, mm-hmm. not the thing you're preaching. They believe in you. I'd rather them not be this than be you yeah. because they're subscribing to a pop shallow type of Christianity. That's going to go away the moment it's shaken, mm-hmm. which is rough. That's a, that's a very bold statement to say in this, yeah. in a film. And one of the great things about that is that's a message that I think is applicable, not only to, it is 
applicable specifically within the Christian subculture. Mm-hmm. I mean, there have been examples. I don't know if people have been keeping up with stuff that's been happening with Mark Driscoll recently. Yeah. There's been this whole mess with him. And um, so that I feel like that's kind of an example where a cult of personality has come to. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what your opinions are on that, so I won't go too much into detail about it. But he's certainly a person who is who there are people that follow him because they like him as a person rather than yeah. the message. Um, so that's something that happens within Christian subculture, definitely, and something that needs to be addressed. But also, I think is a is a good general message, regardless of Christianity, regardless of religion. The idea of of just following someone hook, line and sinker because you like the way they are. You like the way they talk. You like the, what they seem to represent. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, I don't know how you feel about today's political landscape, but I feel like there's a whole lot of that. Absolutely. And I think I made reference to this years ago in my assassination of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford, uh, episode, which is, you know, we put so much faith and we invest so much of ourselves in these other people. And even if these other people are spot on, I mean, I, I talk about CS Lewis. I talk about Tim Keller a lot. Uh, uh, I like Chesterton a great, like there are Christians that I think do it right and communicate it right. But you know, if it, if it came out tomorrow that Tim Keller engaged in an affair for like two years or something Mm -hmm. like that, I would be disappointed and my hope is that I wouldn't feel like crushed, but I know that there are some people who they invest a lot in their pastor or whatever mm. and say like, Oh, this guy's got it right. Well, of course he doesn't. I mean, he still struggles the same way as, as any of us. And so it's not about that one person. Uh, and this is a film that very much acknowledges that we Christians, especially maybe even, yeah, maybe even especially in certain types of churches. You know, if you find a, a, a pastor who's the opposite of all the other pastors, um, you know, the, the, uh, like the boring and seemingly judgmental, like Southern or Midwestern pastors that we, that we grew up with. And then we find a hip, you know, a hip pastor in Los Angeles who like wears a V-neck and has tattoos or something like that. Mm. Then suddenly it's like, Oh, finally a pastor like me. And it's entirely possible that you'll invest too much in that person. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, full disclosure, as I'm sure I've said before, uh, I have a weird history with pastors, uh, or at least my family does, uh, almost every pastor <laughs> that, uh, or at least every church we've been to, uh, in some way falls apart after we leave, not as a function of us leaving. It's just kind of the way it works out. Uh, and it starts with the very first pastor that I ever knew, pastor Jerry, who is like a really good and personable guy. Uh, I, I believe he wound up, uh, embezzling money from the church. Uh, and that's pretty rough, you know? And then I've heard stories about, uh, other pastors who become like really complacent or they just stop really caring about, the needs of the congregation and that sort of thing. And they just care more about keeping their job and that sort of thing. Uh, so I was about to say, thankfully for me, I've had this, these experiences. And so I try not to invest too much in pastor, but I say thankfully as though that all that was a good thing. Of course it isn't. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, and that's because, and that, and that'll maybe bring us into, uh, 
this other thing, which is uh, when the film is in, is is sort of poking fun at modern Christian iconography. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoy it a lot. I think it's very funny. Yeah, and that's and what's more is you realize then how much of it there is. Yeah. You don't think of it, mm-hmm. but there is. Yeah. Um, Whenever I, you reflect on that, things like that, you realize there's more of it than you think. Even when I look back on, like I've talked with people about what it was like to be a Christian as a, like as a kid, yeah. especially as a kid in the eighties and nineties, there's like specific things that are oh, yeah. like, this is a thing you would only know if you grew up in church in the eighties and nineties. Oh, yeah. Salty, the songbook is one. Of Absolutely. Things. Adventures in Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's probably others. All all kids who a lot of kids know about vacation Bible school. That's something they still do. But like, I like to call it VBS. VBS. You exactly. say VBS and people know what you mean. <laughs> exactly. If you'd said that to me, I mean, I, I I know. And so uh, yeah, in in uh, the Apostle, uh, it takes place during the summer, and uh, at one point, character you know it takes place in Texas. Uh, character makes reference to vacation Bible school, and I remember being like, "Ha ha! Look who did his homework." <laughs> um, so. Yeah, it's it's just it's chock full of it. Christian Christianity, especially American Christianity, is a culture in and of itself, and it's entirely possible to engage in that in that culture and not actually believe the thing underneath, or yeah. at least not believe it in any real way. Not to say there's anything wrong with the culture, obviously, like the pieces of the culture that have come together because those people have shared values are are not in themselves bad. Right. They can be. There maybe there are some things that are, but. Um, it's just more, I feel like it's good to note that, uh, like you said, there, there are people who can be committed to a culture without really being committed to why the culture is there in the first place. Right. Yeah. And I mean, anything that connects people can then become a culture. Oh yeah. Uh, but then it's all, and it is possible, it's possible to, as you're engaging in that culture to keep your eye firmly on what it's supposed to be focused on, but it's also possible to lose yourself in the culture itself, uh, rather than what it was formed around. And so, uh, so these are all things, I mean, we're talking, okay, so what are we talking about? We're talking about a film that deals with the, maybe not even danger, but just the, the wariness that maybe we should approach, uh, Christian culture with and recognize that, you know, there are certain buzzwords and if somebody is saying them, like it hit certain buttons and we think, ah, I like that. And then maybe take a moment. I'm not saying be suspicious not or skeptical or anything like that, but just take a moment and realize, okay, that I really liked that. Why did I like that? Am I being challenged? Am I liking this more than I'm being challenged? Um, because Christianity is challenging even to somebody who's been Christian for 40 years. Uh, maybe even especially that person. And so we're talking about that. We're talking about a film that says it is not about any one person, whether it be Billy Graham or the apostle Paul. It's not about any one person. Mm -hmm. It is about God. It is about Jesus. That's, that is the situation. Um, and anybody who starts to make it more about them or any, or maybe they're not even trying to, and the congregation is starting to go that way. And sometimes the pastor can't help it. I mean, I, I know a few pastors and just it's easy for them to become superstars, um, whether they want to or not. Um, <clears throat> so sometimes it's just the, what the congregation is doing. Uh, and so, so we're talking about a film that is dealing with that. And then finally we're talking about a film that says, yeah, faith isn't enough. 
you could have faith in the supremacy of the white race. <laughs> you could have tremendous faith in that. But really, what do you have faith in at that point? You have faith in this horrible, awful thing. Yeah. So, and that's the thing. Any, almost anybody who says it's, it doesn't matter what you have faith in, just as long as you have faith. Mm-hmm. The, Okay, I'm not saying go and argue with that person, but but I will say is, yeah, well, some religions uh, in the past uh, talked about human sacrifice. Should I have faith in that? Yeah. Of course not. Nobody's going to say you should. So at that moment, they, they're basically saying, okay, well, some you should have faith. It, it makes more sense to have faith in this than that. And once you start on that path, it is conceivable that you will wind up with, okay, there's only one that makes the most sense to have faith in. And so, uh, so yeah, these are very important questions that the film is asking and genuinely exploring and coming down on a specific side. Um, and so, but there are character arcs that I believe there are jokes that I laugh at. And even, uh, you and I, this is going to sound mean when we say it, but as we were talking about the visual look of the film, you and I both said, it's like a real movie, <laughs> uh, which is so rarely the case when it comes to uh, Christian film. And I will take a moment real quick, lest anybody think that I'm looking to just bash fireproof or something like that. Um, I will take a moment to say, you and I reviewed a movie called Blue Like Jazz. Blue Like Jazz was sort of the anti-Christian film, Christian film. Like it was trying to be the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you would think that I, that we would like it. And while there are certainly things in it that we liked, um, it led with its message. And thus it was not quite as satisfying as it could have been as a piece of art. And so it's not, it, it's not about what that message is. It's not about, uh, you know, that, in the world of Christian film, it's not about like what the message is or all the all the things surrounding it. It's about committing as a work of art that can be most engaging to its audience. And so I believe me is I think maybe the first Christian film, and not just films that deal with Christian themes like The Apostle, but like the first Christian film that has worked for me almost completely and where it doesn't work it doesn't work in the way that other films don't work for me right yeah and so um so yeah i i really recommend it uh you know look into it see if it's uh if it's going to be playing near you and if not Mm -hmm. you can find it on itunes uh i would really recommend looking into it and i will briefly talk about uh the companion film which uh boy oh boy i rewatched it today i had seen it once many years ago and that is elmer uh, elmer gantry directed by richard brooks who directed blackboard jungle uh, the brothers karamazov and in cold blood so a good writer director i think asphalt jungle is the only film of his i've seen i was looking down uh, blackboard jungle what did i say asphalt oh that's I, john houston asphalt jungle is the one i haven't seen i have seen blackboard jungle oh okay the I teacher see. it's a teacher at a school yeah, yeah. inner city school yeah, yeah yeah uh and so yeah, and it's based on the book by Sinclair Lewis. Uh, it stars... Noted Bert, Christian, Sinclair Lewis. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and it stars uh, Burt Lancaster as Elmer Gantry. He won Best Actor for it. It also won Best Supporting Actress for Shirley Jones. Uh, and then Best Adapted Screenplay. 
and it was nominated for Best Picture and Best Score. I feel the score is a bit bombastic, but uh, sign of the times, I think. Who did the score on that one? I do not remember exactly. Hmm. Uh, I didn't write it down. But um, but yeah, and in this, uh, you have a guy who, and I've not read the book, but in this you have uh, a character who's just a salesman who may or may not be homeless. You're not totally sure, but he's very charismatic, and then he happens across, and, and he does seem to have a belief in God and in Christianity, but not one that like... Maybe not in the saving nature of it, mm-hmm. more just in the the good that it can bring out in people. And he also is able to exploit it to get money. Yeah. So, uh, so he gets involved uh, in this uh, revival movement, I guess. And I guess the I guess the world of revivalism was really big in like the first half of the 20th century. Yeah. There was a, there was a period where it was called like the great revival. And there were a yeah. lot of these speakers who would, you know, I, I can't remember the names of all of them, but I remember studying that in school, actually this period of time in, in the, the U S in like the, the thirties, I think mostly thirties um, and forties, some, and it, it was, it was interesting. Like it, it changed a lot of people's lives for the better, I think, but at mm-hmm. the same time was, it led to a lot of these cult of personality type things. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and it certainly makes sense that it would start in the 30s because Great Depression. So of course you needed something that could give right. people hope. People were particularly susceptible to it. That kind of yeah. thing. Uh, and so uh, so Elmer gets involved in this traveling revival show uh, that is put on primarily by sister Sharon Falconer, uh, played by Gene Simmons of Kiss. Um, <laughs> that's a joke, of course. Uh, Gene is spelled differently. So, uh, but imagine. Oh my gosh, Elmer Gantry would be such a better movie. <laughs> if Gene Simmons of Kiss in full makeup. Um, all the all the hymns they sing are replaced by like, "I want to rock and roll all night and party every day." Party. I'm sorry. Party what? Every day. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm still not getting it. Every day. Every day. Okay, oh, I'm sorry. It. Every day. Every day. That's that's what I was going for. So, um. So yeah, and then he himself becomes part of the show, and I say show in every meaning of the word because it is very much uh, this circus type thing, um, and he's very charismatic, and people just really they really buy into him, they really like him, uh, but you never really know how much of this he believes or if he just sees that. Not unlike our our characters and believe me, it's like all right, they're paying for my room and board, and I get to go from place to place and. You know, and I get to be very popular and powerful. It's good for my ego. I can probably use it to get in bed with some women and uh, that sort of thing. So uh, it's pretty, in many ways, it's pretty damning. But I I feel that the film also leaves some room for genuine redemption for the character uh, in which by engaging with uh, Sister Falconer, who does believe all of this uh, by engaging with her and with the other followers and then having to defend it against uh, cynics. uh, He may be starting to really convince himself, but there's a note of ambiguity at the end, which I like. Um, But there's also tragedy and, and I don't know. He's, if the character is only in it for himself, there are moments when he should ba- be backing away, if not completely leaving town. Mm. Uh, but that does not happen. He stays with it, uh, not merely because he does seem to develop feelings for uh, Gene Simmons' character, but also because he does seem to develop a passion for what it is he's doing. But again, you never quite know. Um, and it is, it's fascinating uh, 
if you were to watch Elmer Gantry and then follow it up with Believe Me, not necessarily beat for beat, but they're very similar in a lot of ways, right down to the fact that you have, uh, you know, you have pastors who are wondering maybe we shouldn't be making this so entertaining. You know, mm-hmm. maybe these people won't stay Christian. We'd much rather have people have fewer people make a genuine commitment. Um, which is exa- which is very similar to what Callie says in Believe Me. Yeah. So you have them saying that. You have them saying like, hey, you know, we, it's important we make this entertaining so we can appeal to kids, so we can appeal to like the young kids. We have to compete with television and movies. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's what Believe Me is saying. Yeah. You know, uh, church needs to be relevant. Uh, the uh, Christianity needs to be relevant to to modern kids with their PlayStations <laughs> and their Turbo Graphics sixteen, uh, which is a state, which is a console I had. It came about right around Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, and then there's TurboGrafx-16, and that's the Turbo one that Graphic went away. 16. I didn't even know that was a thing. It was really good. I liked it a lot. But then I, and when the time came and I wanted to get a Super Nintendo, my parents said, you can't have both. You'll have to get rid of, you'll either go without Super Nintendo, or you'll have to get rid of the TurboGrafx-16, which I did. Because that's who my parents were. Awesome. Because they made you get rid of your gaming system so that you could get another one? I think so, yeah. Okay. I kind of, I like the idea of not having more than one. Yeah, that's fine. But that's me. And by the way, I still have that Super Nintendo. If um, if I had gotten, if I had had to uh, get rid of, of mine, I, uh, mine, sorry, if I had had to abide by that rule, I wouldn't still have my NES. So I'm glad I have that. I'm trying to think, because I, I believe we did have an Atari and a regular Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Um, but that might have been because, frankly, my my brother and I no longer had any interest in the Nintendo, but my dad kept playing the Atari. So I think it might have been because of that. I think he might have just said, okay, well, this one's now mine. And you guys can keep playing that. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, so, uh, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of similarities between these two, two movies. Um, I'll say this, Elmer Gantry is not really that available, but you can... You can rent it on YouTube. Uh, it's only recently that I discovered that YouTube. Yeah, I didn't even know that. you could do that. Yeah, it's it's. I think only like in the last maybe six months that I've yeah. that I've heard about it. I mean, I'm glad that more people are doing that because that's actually that's something that I'm that I find interesting is that there's a lot of in this age of digital streaming, it's actually become harder to find some things mm-hmm. because. You know, if you have your streaming service, great, you can get a lot of stuff through that. But the stuff that you can't get through that, if you don't have video stores, there's nowhere to find it. And like, so it's yeah. impossible. It's become impossible to some to see some movies for a lot of people. Which yeah. Kind of and while seems I'm, like we're going backwards. Right. And and that's the thing is like uh, while there are times when I when I bemoan the rise of you know streaming content and you know that sort of thing and the the instant gratification that comes with it, if it means that you're able to see a movie that you might not otherwise get to see like an Elmer Gantry, go get them. I'm yeah. fine with it. Um, but yeah, so you can find that, uh, on YouTube. Uh, and I highly recommend you watch it. I, I mean, there are times when I was watching it and I felt convicted personally as a Christian about my attitude towards entertainment, my attitude towards my own pastor, uh, towards my church, towards the things that I'm willing to accept, uh, as a Christian from other Christians and, and leaders and that sort of thing. So both of these movies can be very convicting. I did, Let me ask you this. Um, did you find Believe Me to be uh, personally convicting for you at all? Um, 
I don't know that I found it personally convicting, but I can see, I can definitely see how it would be. And I think it gives you things to think about, think about like, um, whether your faith is, is based in a culture that you're already part of, or whether it's based in some kind of, um, vague idea of, of goodness or something. Um, I think, I think those are important things to think about. And I like the way that they talk about it too. I like, we've talked about how it doesn't work a lot of times when films lead with their message. And this one, when it gets into talking, actually talking about messages, it does it in a way that seems organic. It seems the way that regular yeah. people would talk about these sort of things. And it seems to have kind of a strong counterpoint, uh, point counterpoint in those arguments rather than have the person that we know we agree with. And then the poor sap who hasn't learned the truth yet, you know? Yeah. Yeah, maybe, and perhaps that's what I mean by convicting. It's uh, I didn't necessarily watch Believe Me and think, I'm doing all of this, but it was more just, okay, it's asking questions, and I should ask questions too, mm-hmm. and examine myself, and, and, and think about this at the very least, because perhaps it's something, you know, you've been qu- when you've been Christian for a while, there are things that you probably just won't think about uh, for years, and it never hurts to go back and think, okay, well... All right, just as a reminder, just as a refresher, why do I believe this and what do I get out of it? Am I doing it purely for the companionship or whatever? Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's, uh, but for some people, it could be convicting. And if that is the case, then go ahead and let That's that great. be the case. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that might be it. Uh, we're, doing, we're recording this on a day that we don't usually, and frankly, I didn't have a great deal of time to put together uh, some notes. So we may wind up just having to leave it at this. Uh, and just, uh, say, you know, I recommend, okay, I'll put it this way. Years ago, there's a website that I used to go to, uh, to get in arguments, um, called uh, Christian spotlight on the movies. Um, I was young. I'm going to say I was like 19. So I'll, I'll put it down to that and not <laughs> just my natural contrarianism. Um, and one thing that I regularly read with certain Christian films was, people would say, finally, here's a Christian film I can take my non-Christian friends to. Uh, and then I would see those Christian films and think, oh, you're, this person's non-Christian friends are angry with them uh, because they would not enjoy this movie at all. There's nothing for them. And as we talked about last week, there's not necessarily a crime in a movie being only for a Christian audience, provided the Christians realize that. And so, uh, And so I think... Literally every Christian film I've seen, with the possible exception of um, Blue Like Jazz, but even then I don't think it's that good of a movie, um, I don't think I could show any of them to my non-Christian friends. Until now. Uh, I, don't mean to, I don't mean to sing its praises to the heavens or anything like that. Uh, it is merely a solid, effective movie. It's not the most profound movie I've seen. I'm not sure if it would crack my top 10 of the year, uh, but it was very good and very effective. Uh, and as I've been saying to people ever since I saw this film, I did not, I genuinely did not think that Christian film would be at the level of Believe Me for at least another 10 years. And so the fact that we are here now is very exciting. I hope it does well. Yeah. I really, I don't, like doing this if you are listening to this i really encourage you to somehow give the movie some money 
Yeah, if you're one of those people who likes to go out and support Christian film, this is a great time to do it. And, yeah. uh, you know, there, there's... I, Jacob, last time, last episode, mentioned this year as the year of the Christian film, which is, I guess, something people have been saying, because there's yeah. movies like God's Not Dead, which made a lot of money. There was Hollywood making right. Noah, which was a major, you know, a, a big Bible story, even if the movie ended up not being very popular. Uh, the Son of God movie came out. Yeah. So there, there's been some things that have been very high profile. Left Behind coming up. Yeah. Left it Behind lands during Halloween up. times. Do we... <laughs> Break the Halloween times times covenant to watch Left Behind, maybe because my curiosity is I'm going to say all time high. Yeah, Nicholas Cage. <laughs> it's going to be interesting, but uh, but yeah, I'm interested to see what where this goes because uh, there is truth in what people have been saying that producers are starting to take more notice of uh, the Christian audiences as a market, mm-hmm. uh, especially when a movie like God's not dead, that's not even a very good movie comes out and makes tons of money. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe not tons if you're comparing it to guardians of the galaxy, but right. comparable with the type of budget that you're, you're yeah. putting into it. That's, that's a huge thing. And it's funny because that's one of those things that it, it has started at the bottom and made its way to the top. You see a lot of these smaller distributors. I I've interacted with several, small time distributors who the two genres that they work in are horror and Christian movies Hmm. because they have a very loyal audience. You can make them for very low budget and people will still watch them. Um, it just has to weirdly kind of like we talked about, well, the, the, the weird connection between them is there's just a few elements that have to be in there. And as long as they're in there, people are happy Yeah. in a horror movie. You get some good gore in there. You get some, a couple creepy, uh, creepy, uh, monsters and maybe probably some nudity as well. Probably some nudity. Uh, that's yeah. often one of them. And, and, and you have a market, you can sell that even if it's in a weird overseas market or something like that, there's a place to sell that. And it's the same thing with Christian film. These small distributors have been figuring out, you know, you can make a Christian movie for $20,000 and you're going to make your money back because there's people who will buy it. Yeah. So uh, that now has made its way up to the top and people in, you know, People in, people in bigger positions of power, people who are Hollywood producers on a higher level are seeing that this is a market that is not untapped, but uh, let's say less serviced. Yeah. And so, I mean, I hope that that continues as a trend where if they know they can make money making good movies for this audience, then they should keep doing it. Yeah. And I think a lot of it for me comes down to this, that you know, there are people that say like, oh, well, you know, I know the movie's not very, you know, I know God's Not Dead, for example. Uh, I know it's not very good, but I want Christian movies to be made, so I'll give it my money. Now, that bothers me because then it's like, yes, then they'll just make more bad Christian movies because your money does you know, you can't say, I'm giving you my money, but only because of this. Like, people aren't going to read the note attached. They're going to just look at the money, and that's mm-hmm. it. Uh, and so... I'm of the opinion that, you know, some movies, even if they're the type of movie you like, if they're not good, they don't deserve your money. They don't deserve to be, they're not, you know, they don't deserve to have copies of them made. Believe me, I think deserves your money. Mm -hmm. Uh, We got it for free, but I may buy a ticket. Even there's one, I think, I think it's playing in like Orange County or something like that. I probably won't be able to make that movie, <laughs> but, but you might buy I a will, ticket. I will buy a ticket. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might even buy uh, I'll probably buy the Blu-ray now that I think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I never thought I would be one of those people that says, 
my Christian friends, go out and support this film. I apologize for the uh, accent. Um, take your friends and your family. Take your friends and your, take your non-Christian friends. Oh, yeah. And this is actually a film that I'm, I'd be curious to know what my non-Christian friends would think. I think they would laugh. I think so. And I think laughter is very, and I, and I, oddly enough, I'm not even curious from an evangelistic standpoint. Maybe I should be. Um, <laughs> I'm just curious, like, Hey, this worked for me as a Christian. Am I, am I still seeing it with bias? Mm-hmm. You know, would this work for you? Um, and I think it would in some ways, maybe not thematically the way it does for you and me, but I think it still will. So, yeah. uh, so more than anything, uh, go out and watch Elmer Gantry. It's a very effective film. Um, but also really go and see, believe me, if you can, uh, you can rent it on iTunes, you can buy it. There's a lot of different ways to do it. Uh, we highly recommend it. So, all right. Nice short episode. I like that. You can find us at more than one lesson.com. You can email me Tyler more than one lesson.com or Josh, Josh at more than one lesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at more lessons. You can follow Josh at the Josh long. Oh, I messed that up at the Josh long at the Josh long. Uh, you can also, uh, you can also like us on Facebook. You can sign up for our newsletter. There's a lot of things you can do. Um, I think that is it. Thank you all for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.